0: Hey parents, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian for episode 98 of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, and today we are going to dive into a topic that has really reignited the imaginations of people here in the United States of America and really all around the world, and that has to do with racism, an issue that just never goes away and shouldn't go away, obviously, until we have dealt with it. And uh, we want to talk about it a bit today with you. I want to give you a little bit of context for this, however. Uh, we are recording this on June 6th. You probably aren't going to be listening to it t- until later than that once we get it posted, but it's June 6th. And uh, there are still protests going on both in the United States and in England and other places. Uh, there's still a lot of discussion going on. We don't know. What the world will look like now once this podcast is actually released, if the protests are still going on or not, but the topic shouldn't go away. And so that's why we want to talk about it with you today on our podcast and for those of you who will be listening in the future. Um, I do think we probably head into this a little bit with some trepidation in the fact that both of us are white guys, uh, but Michael comes from a a very unique perspective, being a Jewish man as well, who has experienced some anti-Semitism in his life, and we both care deeply about this topic, and we recognize that if racism is ever going to be defeated once and for all, it's going to take all of us working together on this issue, and that, of course, includes raising our kids. Uh, to be wise in their relationships with others. So, Michael, I want to uh, start out just a little bit. Let's let's paint some broad strokes as we begin. Um, you uh, were a part of some of those demonstrations back a generation or two ago with your parents.
1: Yeah, as I was watching on TV, and then we had a, a protest, um, a peaceful one, down in Spokane, where I live downtown, um, those memories came up. Of 1968, when um, Dr. Martin Luther King was killed, and there were there were a lot of protests, and we were on peace marches. My parents were both academics, and they were very involved in the the peace movement and the civil rights movement, and um, which was all over the university. There, they were at University of Hawaii at that time, and uh, and so uh, you know I was sort of brought up with it for sure, and brought up with uh, with activism, social activism, and and that those memories came up for me as I watched this. And I thought, wow, um, this is kind of an interesting resonance. George Floyd is killed. And, um, and it it ignites these protests. And then back then 19 and during COVID, while we're having disease uh, pandemic and disease response. And back then 1968, it was Hong Kong flu. Hmm. At the time when Dr. Martin Luther King was killed, which led to protests. And um I just, it was a really interesting resonance, 50, what is that, 52 years later. Um, so yes, I was brought up in it, and I, I feel like I've been called much of my life to to help work on these issues. And of course, I know we'll get to that. I've focused on working on them through schools. Um, but I think you're right in what you said uh, as we began, that we are really all in this together.
0: So you were probably 10 years old, nine, 10 years old 10, at that yeah. time. 10-11. Um, what do you think your parents were trying to teach you about racism in that moment by getting you involved in it?
1: Uh, yeah, they were, they were definitely teaching service and, and acts of service and living for service uh, of others who, who are struggling, who are suffering, you know, that that's, that's why we're here. Um, and they were committed to that. Uh, they, and then in terms of racism itself... Their message always to us kids, uh, my brother and sister and I was, you know, that the skin color is just skin color. This is not, this is not. We're all the same people, you know. We're not. uh, We don't judge people based on their skin color, uh, which, which was, which is, I think, a a great and essential message. And um, and then thirdly, they they were specifically, especially after King's death, they were specifically looking at black-white relations. And in 1968, you know, the Civil Rights Act, right, that the law was just recently passed. I mean, so we're talking 52 years ago um, when it was all sort of new uh, for a lot of people. It was new that, oh, you know, black people should be treated equal to white people. Now it's 52 years later, so it's not new. But in 1968, there were, there were a lot of people for whom that was new. And uh, for my parents, not not so much. I mean, for them, they were civil rights activists, so for them, equality was essential.
0: Now, you come from a Jewish background, and you have been the victim of uh, anti-Semitism in your life, and uh, you just wrote about this in a blog recently. Tell us a little bit about that that story, or even a couple stories of what you've experienced as a Jewish person.
1: Yeah, growing up, I do tell one of the stories of the anti-Semitic bullying, where where um, this is when we lived in Laramie, Wyoming. And I was 12 and the, a bunch of the guys, uh, took me behind the school and held me down. There were four of them holding me down. And then one of them used pliers, shoved pliers in my nose, inside the nostrils and just, you know, yanked on it. And they wanted to see if the Jew nose would, the Jew nose would grow. Hmm. That was, that was the, you know, I've never forgotten that. And, um, and then there were other incidents where, where I had to really, you know, think about the fact that, oh, I'm, I'm Jewish. You know, I'm I'm part of a group that has been um, toward which people have been bigoted, prejudiced and in fact, even violent, obviously, over the centuries. And when you're a when you're a Jew of these generations post-Holocaust, all of history, to some extent, is seen by us as Jews, is seen through the dark lens of the Holocaust. So we are we, it is always a part of our Lives, that people can be annihilated, right? That there can be immense bigotry and unfair stereotyping and scapegoating and all of that. And I think that has helped me to be sensitive over the decades and to, to really listen and try to hear. Uh, so, and I think both those things have, you know, even the Junos would look grow, you know, the actual bullying that I experienced myself around around what used to be called my race, which we know now it's my ethnic group. But that, that, uh, that has helped me to be empathic and sensitive and listen and work with uh, communities of color. Uh, and it has helped me to assess how I'm doing in that work.
0: When we talk about r- racism in our country, um, we don't often connect it to anti-Semitism. Uh, there are some times when we'll talk about we need to treat all people equally and so on. And when we're talking about those who have been oppressed, do you do you see a difference philosophically? now, we're going to go on and chase a rabbit for a moment. Philosophically, is there a difference between anti-Semitism and racism, especially in a country like the United States of America?
1: Well, okay, to the to the last point, I mean, a- absolutely, it's a lot harder right now to be to be African American and to drill down to be a black boy or a black man? I mean, the racism and all the circumstances we will talk about, some of which are not about racism, but are income inequality, other issues, those are much harder right now. And so, you know, for me as a Jewish white man, um, it's not as hard for me. Uh, in 1943, right, for my ancestors who were slaughtered, okay, then it was as hard, mm-hmm. but not now. I mean, I'm I'm very clear that, that, um, that, the anti-Semitism I experience in the U.S. right now is very small, um, compared to the the racism and the inequalities that Black people experience. So that's a definite difference. Um, but at the same time, I think it helps give me sensitivity, mm-hmm. and it has hel- it helped me in raising my kids and in explaining to them, and helping them, uh, you know, who are who are coming up through this world and now are 30 and 27, but they were kids really helping them understand that we could have empathy for the racism that uh, black people experience because of what we have experienced. And one of the stories that was told a lot and that I told a lot with my kids, of course, was the same, the, the story of slavery. And so that was a way as Jews that we could at a Sunday school, et cetera, that we could talk to our kids about black experience Obviously, through the lens of us being white people teaching Sunday school, but trying to get them to say, "Okay, now this is what slavery was like in your own past, right?" Because as everyone probably knows from the Old Testament, a lot of slavery there. The Jews were enslaved, yep. and then the fight for freedom, and then the connection with Martin Luther King using that, you know, "Let my people go," and um, which is out of out of the Bible, and then and then trying to talk about slavery and generational trauma and Jews. You know, Jews know about generational trauma. I mean, we are we are thousands of years past that slavery. But like I said, every Jew looks through the lens of the Holocaust. And, mm-hmm. and slavery is, is right there. You know, it's right there. So we're able to use it. And I think that's a good thing. Jews are able to use that with their kids, kind of look through that lens and then talk about the generational trauma of slavery, colonialism and slavery, and how that passes down. And we now know a lot about genetics and epigenetics and how institutional um, uh, slavery and, and trauma passes into this generation. And as my kids were older teens, I was learning more about genes. and And we would talk about that.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like... Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy.
0: I know one of the challenges for parents right now is to talk to their children about this. And, and I I can even remember... Because uh, I was 10 at the time as well, uh, seeing these, um, uh, back in the 1960s, seeing these images on TV of riots and um, wondering uh, in my 10-year-old mind, what what is this? And this, this feeling of fear, what's wrong with the world, what's going on, why why are these people so angry, and to, to try to explain what are really pretty bad big adult issues to children who are seeing images on TV uh, can really be a challenge. And um, what are some of the, let, let's start with, again, some broad strokes, and then we can uh, dig a bit deeper. What are some initial things that you would say to parents as they're trying to help their children now navigate through the images that they've been seeing on TV? And, uh and even navigate their way through some discussions that moms and dads might be having in their houses and the kids happen to be listening into them
1: yeah it's that's a good and, and very deep question I I think some of this will depend on the age of the child so I'm going to be general and then parents please you know fix it for the age of your child I think the I think it it's going to start with <clears throat> excuse me seeing the seeing the images on TV I mean I gotta guess that's how the kids, especially little kids, are going to bring it up and parents are going to bring it up. They're going to be seeing these protests and the kids are going to be thinking, what is that about? And so right there, the two, I think, key emotions are anguish and anger. And for parents to try to help kids understand the anguish that people feel and the anguish that that people feel and of course, and of course, we want to remember in these protests, there are a lot of white people. I mean people of all color are in these protests. and And I'm going to separate for a moment the protests from the looting. I think that's a different topic. Um, the protests themselves, which are free speech and which is pe- which are people expressing their anguish and their anger, um, uh, that that's the jump off point. And so okay, what are they angry about? And, and hopefully the children will ask the parents, but if not, the parents are gonna say, well, here's what they are angry about and try to explain. So what they're angry about is that they don't you know, they don't have jobs that they're, uh, I'm referring now to um, uh, black people and then especially black males in the context of George Floyd. Um, they, they, have, they don't have jobs, their jobs are lower paying. COVID has also erased a lot of jobs that they had that Black males and Black females had pre-COVID, a lot of those jobs are gone. It's hitting them very hard, that ethnic group, that racial group. And then uh, and then there's a history of slavery, there's over-incarceration, you know, talking about all of these things that are creating the anguish and the anger. And um, if, if folks want a primer, if folks go on to gurianinstitute.com and you click the blog that I wrote where I list these things out, um i I wrote this blog blog on may 30th uh you can click that on our news page and then it lists these eight eight areas of distress for african-american populations and and feel free to take that list and just gradually talk to kids about these things to help kids understand um you know why would these protests happen well because of this anger and this anguish uh the looting i think is a separate issue and i'm gonna just say personally from my own point of view I, you know, that's where I would say to my kids, no to that, you know, that looting and destruction is, is not, it's not what Dr. Martin Luther King would have wanted, you know, and I, I fall back to that with my kids that we always fell back to Martin Luther King, they had real memories of that. Um, no to that, you know, that's something else. Let's talk about that as something else. Um, but but here's the peaceful protest. Here's what they're about. And I think, I think hopefully that will help. It, it
0: of course should be said that in talking about racism with our kids, is going to depend on the ethnic group you come from as well. Um, and talking when I'm, my white grandson is asking me, grandpa, why, why did that police officer murder that black man just because he was black? That's a very different question probably than what a black boy of the same age is going to be asking, uh, or at least nuanced differently, received differently. Um, uh, but there are these these general things that we want all of our children to know about treating each other with respect, treating each other with dignity, and uh, looking even for ways uh, in which we might say things that can be hurtful and we didn't even know it. And I'm, I'm going to give you an example of this. Uh, I grew up in a uh, predominantly Jewish suburb in the Minneapolis area, 30 to 40 percent Jewish people. Uh, now, I've had friends later in life, who'd never even met a Jewish person before, but they were all my friends. And we all got along. Well, I didn't even see them as Jewish, except that they got different holidays than we did. Uh, and and we were great friends. And, uh, you know, my dad would buy stuff from them, and they'd buy stuff from my dad. I mean, there was it was like, there was no difference. And I remember one time, um, once in a while, I would hear my Jewish friends use the word schmuck and so one day i jokingly referred to one of them as that and man he just shut me down he was angry he had said he said you just said one of the worst things you can ever say and to this day i don't even know what i said right but i said something to him that was offensive and and i didn't know why and i i think sometimes our kids um find themselves in situations where they're relating to other people maybe people of other ethnicities races and may say things and they they just don't know what it is and and how do you respond to that how do kids say okay what did i say how did i hurt you Uh, these are these are such adults can't hardly navigate these days let alone our kids so how do we help our kids work through all these different nuances and how to relate to each other how to say i'm sorry how to ask for explanation what advice do we give to our kids
1: yeah Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is in our community, we have to allow, we have to allow people, you know, second chances. We, we have to, we have to know that things are confusing and get everyone to agree that things are confusing. So if a parent listening to this is part of a school community, you know, um, co-op community, some community, there has to be discussion in that community and that in which all these children are having friendships that, okay, you know, kids are going to make these mistakes and the mistakes are for us to help them. The mistakes are not condemnations of them or of us as a family. It's so that we can help them. So they make a mistake and they say a word that offends someone else. Okay, then that's that teaching moment. And that's okay in our community that we're going to have these teaching moments and gradually we're going to teach this. Um, uh, One thing I think that is causing a lot of difficulty is the is that there's a Mm hyperactivity, especially when kids say things. And kids don't, you know, as you've just said, don't really know what they're saying. They're testing things out and they need us to come back to them and say, okay, well, that was not appropriate. Here's why. And they need people, even to get angry at them, you know, and to say, "Well, that was bad." Like that guy said to you. Now, by the way, "schmuck" is not such a bad word, so I'm not sure what <laughs> what he meant there, but he obviously meant something there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a good metaphor. So, so yep. you know, people say the people will even say the N word, right? They're like nine years old. They've heard yep. it in a rap music. They'll say it, and then then they're kicked out of school. You know, and I I I just I want to say, hold on hold on they've made an error by the way they heard it in a rap song so they're going to try the word out then we need to respond to them and say okay now that that is not correct that grows out of a slave culture and we need to explain that to them and say we no longer we support um our friends who are black we support our brothers and sisters we no longer use that word here is why and um and even if it's used in huck finn you know okay we can read huck finn but here is why we no longer use that word. And we need to give these second and third chances, um, especially in things like this that are very micro, right? Um, In other words, microaggressions that are small aggressions that can add up, but that we need to help our kids correct because part of raising them is letting them make these mistakes and correcting them. So I would say at a communal level, we have to come to some sort of agreement that kids will make these mistakes, we'll correct them, they will grow up. And not be racist because we've helped them through an experiential process now in terms of the apology yeah i think apology is so crucial i mean I, in other podcasts we've talked about how we we just always beg parents to help their kids to apologize so if they've said something um uh that that is uh, that is racist or is a microaggression or is something that has offended someone that needs to be talked out we need to figure out why the person was offended it needs to get explained the child needs to explain it back to us so that we know the child understood. Okay. When you use the N word there, that, that, you know, what feelings did that cause in the other person? Okay. And then my child says, well, I think the feelings, these were the feelings caused, even though I didn't really mean it. I heard it from a rap song. Okay. That's fine. But the feelings were still caused and then now go apologize. And then uh, if, if the kids are young, we supervise the apology and make sure it happens. Uh, that, that the apology process is a good one. Um, and I think it, and the final thing i will say here is that i think it's that i i think it's really important that this kind of social process goes on and that there is forgiveness and the apologies are accepted and you know everyone moves forward as brothers and sisters because um, to some extent this social interaction isn't set up well so that we have some people who will hyper react to some one small thing and then it doesn't really matter what anyone does even if person apologizes, they're still hyper reacting. And um, I think they also have to allow the apology to stand. And then we all move forward in community. Uh, So I think this is going to be solved at a community level.
0: So along with that, then, Michael, I I think about just the conversations that parents have with each other about these issues, maybe not realizing that their kids are listening in how how should parents when their kids are in the room talk about these issues you know in an adult way of course but in ways recognizing that their kids are there and maybe listening in and um we we know that kids learn best from what they see mom and dad doing
1: yeah yeah that's a really good question i it it takes me to a number of places one of which is parents may have maybe disagreeing actually about what they're seeing they may be in an argument about it and and um you know, I think after things cool down, it's good for them to talk to their kids about both sides of that argument or what they were arguing about, you know, because cause this is a stressful time and that's, that's going to happen. And then in terms of just generally talking to the, um, talking with each other about it, hopefully, especially when their kids are around, yeah, hopefully they can have the conversation um, and, and have the conversation in a way where it, things are not taken personally you know, in which they they can be passing on knowledge, they can be discussing what's going on without attacking each other. And also hopefully without attacking others, um, uh, whoever it is, I mean, depending wherever they are on the spectrum, whether they're attacking um, the president or whether they're attacking, you know, the Antifa, wh- whatever it is that they're attacking. I, I just, I always hope that we can, um, be less on the attack and more understanding and empathic to what's going on and why it's going on. And that will pass that on to our kids. But, you know, if we're in attack mode, then, then we do have to talk to our kids about that too and why we are so enraged or angry and that we need to attack. And, you know, hopefully when we're talking to our kids about that, we're cooled down a bit.
3: Confidence starts with loving who you are.
0: racism in and of itself just brings forth a lot of different emotions uh and of course depending on your your relationship to racism uh those emotions can be one thing or another but anger is generally one of them and uh a righteous anger uh normally but that sometimes can come out seemingly different it can be rage whatever um, so let's let's kind of end this discussion by, by helping our kids not only manage the images they're seeing and uh, a little bit about how to be compassionate and caring, uh, but to how to manage their own emotions of, of fear or anger or outrage, whatever it might be. How do we help our kids manage those real emotions and then harness them to, to do something positive?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one message to kids is that that doing something positive. I'm going to the end, and I'll go back to the beginning. Doing something positive, serving others, helping others, it grows from it grows from one's passion, but it does not actually grow from one's rage, um, and that's an important thing for kids to understand. Pe- people will sometimes say, uh, you know, I'm helping. I'm helping these uh, these other people are are getting what they want because they're so enraged. And I, I would disagree with that. I, mm-hmm. they, they're going to go through the time and the period of rage. Um, uh, and I think they're in stages, like stages of grief. And anger is one of those stages. Um, and, and they move through those stages. And when they get toward acceptance and meaning and making meaning of it, that is when actually we act and serve others. And um, so I think it's important to help kids understand they're seeing a lot of rage on TV and they're also seeing anger and passion in the protests. And let's help them separate that um, uh, so that they understand that, okay, there's this anger that's been building. It has a rage component. We, however, are gonna use it to help others by moving it into passion and meaning. And not get stuck in the rage, Um, and we, you know, that's an important message for kids um, right now because as they're growing up, they themselves are going through a lot of (laughs) up and down emotions, and they sometimes will see rage or their anger as as okay, I'm going to act out of that, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to attack people, I'm going to be really mad at people, and guess what? I have good reason to because of racism or because cops kill people or or whatever it is, and. And, you know, we have to bring them back, I think, to understanding the stages of this. And the, I'm going to end with the cop, the whole argument about cops killing people and how how for some people that becomes the focus. Right. And then they yep. say, well, here's this bad cop who who killed him. We assume it's racism, by the way, as of the date you and I are are um, recording this. We don't know if that, that policeman was operating out of racism. We don't really know yet. Right. Cause, right. cause there hasn't been an investigation. We don't know. Um, but even if let's say it was the, then it, then it goes to rage against cops. Right. And then it goes to cops are bad. And then it goes to let's rage against white cops and then let's defund police departments and let, let anarchy take over. You know what I mean? So it's, we have to help our kids to see where rage where rage goes and then pull back from it and have, um, have discussions about anger and help them understand their own anger, have discussions about empathy, have them understand their own empathy, have discussions about racism, have them understand their own and even our own racism, H- help them to do a, a what, I, what I call and others call a privilege assessment, you know, where, especially if you're white or if you're wealthy, that you assess your own privilege and, and help your kids assess their own privilege and say, you know, these are some privileges you have that these people don't have. You know and you got to be aware of that and 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 let it increase your empathy for others um uh but i guess the big takeaway i would say is you know don't let everyone sit in rage because that then creates attacks on people and on communities that become really dangerous like the defunding the police department okay that becomes very dangerous and it backfires actually against the very communities that people are saying we should defund it to protect. So in other words, if we defund police departments and we just think all cops are bad, um, or all white cops are bad, then we get in a situation where black communities are incredibly vulnerable you know, to crime and violence. And so we just, my big thing for parents is don't live in the rage, don't let your kids live in the rage, but, but definitely understand their anger, their empathy and their passion.
0: Yeah, that is really a helpful distinction to see that um, underneath some of that anger really is a passion for what's right, a a passion for a better world. And uh, you and I had a conversation uh, with uh, Tim Madigan. We were talking about Mr. Rogers uh, on a Zoom cast we recorded, and uh, people can see that over on our Facebook page, Wonder of Parenting. Um, And and you talked about... um, the 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 jewish perspective on the world and um uh let's end with that because that's such a poignant way to 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 talk about this and sort of the mission of the jewish people
1: yeah um repair the world is a really big phrase for for jews and um and i and i think perhaps for everyone it's just that we repeat it a lot repair the world why am i here to repair the world and and part of why I think Jews focus on that is that religiously Jews don't have a Messiah. So, so we don't have this, this, the system set up of I'm here to give my heart to Jesus Christ. And then through that, right. Then I act. And then also I go to heaven and how everyone interprets that. We just don't have that, right. That's not available to us. So, so what, what, what we have to answer, why am I here is to repair the world. And, um, and I think that that really does have, have a lot to do with what I was just saying about rage. I mean, we, you know, uh, again, we see life through the Holocaust. And, and I, had, I had to understand what this repair of the world meant myself personally. Um, when I was very young, I was brought up by parents who would not step foot in a Volkswagen. What they said is, I will never step foot in a German car. And of course, that was because they lived through the time when all our relatives were killed, right, were annihilated. And only a few were left in the U S and Israel. So, um, you know, so they had a rage against Germans. And then when I went to college, I, um, I studied philosophy and a lot of the best philosophers are German. And so then I had to learn German to try to understand Heidegger and Hegel. And so then that led to, I need to go to Germany and I need to make peace, you know, because I can't, I can't serve and repair the world if I'm enraged at these people. And I'm taking that rage on, of course, from my parents, some of it is mine, but but my generation didn't live through World War II, so a lot of that I took on from the elders um, and I needed to heal it. And so I went to Germany, I spent a summer there and the process of learning German, studying German philosophy, German poetry, um, and going there, doing my research there, living with people there, um, you know, helped me to heal the rage. I still have some anger, which I think is passion, um, uh, I still have that, but I don't have the rage. So, uh, uh, yes, I think it's hard to repair the world. If we're living in the rage, mm. we want to destroy when we're enraged. So let's, let's have that go through that process, but then let's move out of it. And when we're with our kids, let's turn it into angry passion. Um, uh, and that way I think we repair the world.
0: Well, Michael, thank you as always for, um, your insights and we want to encourage people to go to wonderparenting.com wonderparenting.com uh lots of different resources there for you uh also a link to our sponsor a place of hope the center up in the seattle area they've been very gracious in making sure that we can continue to come to you uh, for important things like this and uh, Michael, I, I, again, thank you so much. And and we want to we want to just thank everybody for listening. And um, we just pray peace and grace to you uh, as you uh, work through these things with your kids. Uh, and together, we repair the world. We'll be with you again next week. Sick of being upsold at gyms.